Hey everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Rachel, and I'm the host of this podcast. If you tuned into the last episode, then you would know that for this season of the podcast, I'm thinking of sharing some personal stories about how God has personally impacted my life through different areas in life. And I'm doing this because even though I love doing the kind of episodes that are just very straightforward, like here's the problem, here's the answer, da 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 this is how you fix it, that sort of a thing, I just, I also really feel like a lot can be said about storytelling and taking other people on a journey that is so personal to you. And that's why I just, I really want to take this opportunity to talk about God's grace and transformative work through personal, real life things that have happened to me. Um, so yeah, that's that's the heart and the vision of this next season, and I really hope that you enjoy it. And I also just want to take this moment to apologize for how late that this episode is. I've been I've been really busy uh, trying to organize all these things for you know Thanksgiving because my husband's American, but I've also been having some health issues, which it's not too serious, but yeah, hopefully these episodes won't be too far behind each other. So I just want to thank you for your patience and I really hope that this episode makes up for it. Before I get going, I also want to say that I I know that some people aren't going to fully understand these stories and some people might choose to not say that like, oh, it's, it's, it's not God, Rachel, you're, like, you're just being delusional or they're just going to call it something else like, oh, it's just, it's just luck. But um. But please just remember that these are my personal stories. They're my experiences. Um, they're not stories that are supposed to be pointing at myself or to push my own agenda or look at how great I am, that sort of a thing. But I also know that, you know, a lot of people, they don't know me very, very well. They, they try to assume things about me. But I just want to say up front that these are my experiences and I don't really want to argue about it. And that's not the point of this podcast. So I just really hope that you guys can accept that and we can just move on and you know I hope that your heart and mind can be open to what I'm going to share with you this season because I'm sharing to you these personal intimate stories that come from my life and it's just not something I really want to argue about so yeah with that being said um, so last week's episode was the story of how I became a Christian so if you'd be interested in that story then I would say go back and listen to that episode but as for this episode I thought I should talk about Things that God has taught me from pain, disappointment, and sorrow. I really hope that this episode makes sense. It might kind of go all over the place, but I mean, that's life. Life is messy. (laughs) It doesn't go in a straight line sometimes. So I hope it makes sense. First and foremost, (laughs) the main thing that God has taught me through pain, disappointment, and sorrow, and things like that is He is a father to the fatherless. Now, I'm sure I've mentioned it a few times now on the podcast, but if you haven't, if this somehow is your first episode that you're listening to, um, you wouldn't know that my father died when I was seven from a brain tumor. He worked in the government and he worked a lot with satellite phones in the late 90s and early 2000s. So it was, it was those huge brick phones. <laughs> and from what I've been told, his brain tumor came from the radiation from these phones. And So I don't really know a lot or remember a lot from my dad because he died when I was very young, but from what I've gathered, he was a very fun, charismatic, and influential person. So yeah, growing up, I never really had a father figure in my life, and anyone who was an older male figure, like an uncle or a godfather or a family friend, 
they they didn't really want me to see them as a father figure or a role model. I'm assuming because that's a lot of pressure, but uh, whatever their reason, they all kept their distance. So I didn't really have anyone to look up to of the male persuasion. But also at the same time, I didn't really want to have a stepfather. I actually remember telling my mum that if I ever got a stepfather, that I would I would knock him out, put him on a train uh, all the way to Darwin so I could never see him again. It's not that I wanted my mum to be alone or anything like that. I just, I think I had always believed that if I got a stepfather, he would try to split my mum and I up and pit us against each other and then take, a, take everything that we had and bankrupt us and stuff like that. Um, looking back though, I think that's just because of all the, the movies, the kind of movies that I watched as a kid. <laughs> but uh, anyway, my mum didn't really show any interest in remarrying, so I didn't have to worry. So yeah, because I never had a father, it was very hard for me to understand how should I expect other guys to treat me and what my standards should be. Um, because it was never really modelled for me in the home and I wasn't really shown what my worth really is and I never really got my father's approval or love like that that I remember. So as a teenager, I kind of just settled for any attention that I got and I loved the attention and it always led to a lot of abusive and toxic relationships and situations and so it was very hard for me to figure out what was truly good and what real faithfulness looked like because... Because of that, I just I wasn't able to wait for the person that God had for me, and I really wish that I had. So there are so many repercussions that I had to suffer by not having my earthly father here. Then when I became a Christian, it did get better, but I'm going to be honest with you and say that it didn't get it didn't get a ton better all at once. It didn't happen, you know, uh, immediately. It wasn't a, an immediate change. Um, it was still a process that I had to go through. I still had to teach myself how to pray and how to hear from God from the Bible and how to pursue holiness by just reading the Bible with, you know, no audible affirmation or anything like that. Going through the Bible on your own, it can rip it could be really hard sometimes. It could be really confusing and believing the Bible isn't always easy. I'll admit that and it's been a process for me to really understand that this is this is God talking to us through his word and I've actually take, I've had to take the time to discover that God's word is really the only reliable thing that we have for dealing with pain and for understanding God's character and strength. And over the course of my Christian journey, I've learned that he, he draws near to the brokenhearted and he's always ready to look after me because his word says that by, you know, by accepting him into my life, I have become a precious daughter of his and that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And he, he loves me so much that he's not going to allow anything to harm me that isn't going to benefit me in the long run. And yeah, it was very frustrating at first, and it was also very tempting to slip back into my old habits and my old lifestyles, especially while being a teenager, because you have all of these peers and you have all of these friends who are trying to pull you into the lifestyle that they think is cool and they think is trendy. But slowly I started to understand that even though my earthly father had passed away and left, God, my heavenly father, he, he'll never leave me. I never had to wonder if God had, you know, one day died and then left me and wouldn't answer me anymore. 
because, uh, you know, God doesn't die. <laughs> um, but I learned uh, particularly Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says that he will never leave me or forsake me. And I held on to that promise every single day and he fulfills it all the time, even now. I know that I know that I know that I'm God's child through faith and he's always there even when I'm feeling lonely. Which leads me to another thing. I also started to understand that even though my earthly father can't physically protect me anymore, God will always protect me and not put anything in my way to harm me. I remember one time my dad was taking me for a walk around the block and this dog came out of nowhere and lunged at me and I was so scared and I just screamed. But I just remember dad, he jumped in front of me and he grabbed the dog and he just chucked it back into the driveway and he just picked me up and kept walking. And uh, it, it was it was an incredible feeling just having someone, you know, swoop in and save me like that. Um, but also I say that story while also knowing that not everyone has you know, a, a wonderful father. And uh, I know that some people ha might have angry and abusive fathers, fathers that don't protect their children. I've even heard stories from some of my friends about their dads, about how they have so much pain from what their father has done that it actually prevents them from having a relationship with God. And it actually really pains me to hear them say that. And if that's you today, I just want to say to you that I'm really sorry. A father should not be like that at all. That is not the right model for uh, a family. But for me, I've found hope in knowing that God, even when he's disciplining us, he's using that pain for our greatest good. It's never just to punish us. And no matter what we face, he's always there to help us and to be a source of safety for us. And he'll never let us be overwhelmed with danger because he is a father of comfort and protection. Lastly, with my father gone, um, we became a single parent income home and life was a bit of a struggle there for a while. And I would see how anxious my mum would be every time the school would say that there's a new school camp or a trip or anything like that. And I know she didn't want me to miss out. So it was really hard. But from what I learned is that God will always remain faithful to provide and our fundamental needs will always ultimately be met by our heavenly father and, and not by our earthly parents. And some people might hear that and say, well, how? Well, you know, that's faith. That's literally the fundamentals of faith. And I've seen it in my friends' lives where they've been lacking in an area and they prayed that God would meet their need and then God would prompt maybe another person's heart to give to the first person. And that's, that's how God moves sometimes. Sometimes people can just say, oh, well, that person's just doing a good deed. They're just being nice, but it wasn't God. But I think that it is um, because to me, I feel like people aren't at their core generous. It actually takes a move in their heart to stir someone to be generous. And I really feel like God finds a way either by direct intervention or he sends someone in, in their way, in their path. Because he, he, his resources don't end. He can utilize anything that he wants to do his will because he loves to provide for those who love him and who are faithful to him because those people are a huge delight to him. He says in his word that we are precious in his eyes and that we, we're unique, each and every one of us. And initially that was really hard for me to accept because it's, it's, I used to have a huge insecurity about who I am in Christ and just who I am in general and if I have any worth at all. And 
just because I never really had anyone who I looked up to or admired tell me that before. I didn't have my dad to tell me that. But God doesn't leave us in doubt. He He wants us to know that we are His and that we are infinitely loved by Him. He doesn't want us to question it at all because His love isn't conditional either. He doesn't love us based on our successes. He doesn't he, he doesn't do any of that. Like, it's not conditional. He just loves us because he loves us because it's who he is. He is literally love and he is just so patient with us. And there's just more mercy in God than there is sin in us. I just want to say that he is a hope for those who are alone and he is a place to go to when we're scared. That's the first thing that he's taught me. He's, he's a father to the fatherless. So secondly, God knows uh, what is ultimately best for us and that we can trust him with everything. So I've told this, what I, the story that I'm about to say, I've told this story before. It's uh, from an episode called Healing from Heartbreak. But if you haven't listened to that story, it's a story of how God taught me uh, how to rely on him and how to trust him unconditionally through my broken engagement. So yeah, before I was married to Jesse, I was engaged to someone else. And all throughout high school, um, I was never really the girl to stay single for long. Uh, I've said in my testimony episode that I never really took people, feelings or anything seriously and I never looked at the bigger picture. I always just thought about my feelings in the present. I, I never thought about the consequences. So if a guy ever gave me any attention, I just, I liked it. I was trying to fill the void of not having a father and not having the best relationship with my mom at the time. And I thought I needed guys' attention in order to be happy or to feel any sense of self-worth. But then I met this guy and became a Christian because he was a Christian and not saying that like it was, you know, evangelism dating. No, no, no. I was already on my own journey. I'm not going to explain it. Just listen to the episode. But he was the one that helped me make that leap and become a Christian. So uh, I knew that those days were behind me and I was ready to become the best wife possible. And through that, God taught me a lot about how to be a Christian, how to sanctify me and how to grow me closer to him. He, so yeah, he taught me through that uh, relationship. So however, because I made such an intense switch, I had become very critical. I, I, was, I was this girl who really didn't care about a lot of things and then I just jumped into being this girl who was like a stickler for the rules and I was very strict on myself and I had very high expectations for other Christians as well. And um, I suddenly had a high standard of what a Christian husband should be like and act like. And it was almost like I was overcompensating for not having any standards previously. So I found myself snapping a lot at my fiancé because I felt like he wasn't as godly or as Christ-like as I had read about and I've been told, you know, a husband should lead his wife and be the head of the family and so on. And But not in a controlling way. I know a lot of non-believers don't really understand the whole Christian marriage and what that's all about. And I'm not going to get into it. But the idea is that your husband leads you in a loving way that you respect him. And because you respect him, you want to naturally listen to him and let him lead you and the family. But unfortunately... I felt like my fiancé wasn't like that. So to me, he it felt like he was a lukewarm Christian that could just be easily influenced in the wrong direction. And I didn't really feel like that was the kind of man that I wanted to marry or to lead me or to lead my future children. So we argued a lot and he was patient with me for a while, but I was still broken and hurt by a lot of things. And he had his own expectations for a future wife too. I wasn't what he expected 
he wasn't what I expected. So we both had unmet expectations about each other. And then one day after Christmas at his parents' house, he ended the engagement. And although I knew ending the relationship was good, I was very shocked and heartbroken. And I thought that we could both change for each other and make it work. But it really hurt really, really bad. And I just, I felt like he had broken all of his promises to me and I was just shattered. I cried almost every single day for three months and I couldn't do anything alone without crying. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drive. Um, but after those three months, one day I realized that, hey, like I hadn't, I hadn't cried that day and I was able to go to work, go to church, see my friends and just live my life. And I was kind of like in shock because I was like, oh, wow, like, how am I doing this? And in those moments, I, I'm dead certain that it was probably God alone that was the only thing carrying me, because um, I know that I didn't have any strength. Um, but at the same time, God didn't push me to get over it. He didn't say, oh, I told you that relationship wasn't for you. Like, you know, you should have listened to me. But it was just His grace that was just carrying me from day to day. And I was able to see that God was using the pain of this broken engagement to grow me closer to Him and to get me to be more set apart for Him alone and not to have, you know, the attention from men as the idol of my heart anymore. Because I think I was already broken and then I met this Christian man. And so my identity was built upon the wrong building blocks and it wasn't on the firm foundation of Christ. So I really felt like he wanted my heart to only be for him and to only care about his attention and no one else's. So now being married to Jesse, I can clearly see the wonderful plan that God originally had planned for me. And the pain I went through now, looking back at it, is the best thing to ever happen to me. And I've learned that God truly does know best. And if if we only just trust in Him unconditionally, in His wonderful, amazing plan, and just let it unfold, it will be way better than anything else that we could ever plan for ourselves because He knows us way better than we know ourselves. Um, him removing this idol from my heart, it, it was a huge, painful process, and I was very hurt. I was very angry, and it was very tempting for me to slip and fall for the wrong guys, and there were at times where I did take a misstep, and it did really hurt to see the man who broke me just move on and marry someone else. It was really hard, but God was so faithful, and even before meeting Jesse, he constantly reminded me that I didn't need a husband. I only needed him because he's the only one who can fix a broken heart, and truly satisfy and provide for my every need. Um, it actually reminded me, I was drawn to this verse, uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 to 9, and it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So, he really does use horrible things for good and he really does know best. And I've just, I've really learned to trust in him and to just be unconditional with that trust. And I mean, I still need to practice it every time something bad happens. I need to practice just being like, okay, God, you've got it. But I, I know in my heart now that, you know, he uses everything for good and I can trust his plan. Thirdly and lastly, one of the huge things that God has taught me through pain, disappointment and sorrow is that Christians and the church may hurt you, but God won't hurt you. 
And what I mean by that is that we can be hurt by a church or we can be hurt by other Christians and it can be very tempting to throw away a relationship with God or the belief in God because these, you know, these things, these people, they're representatives of Christ. And when they betray us or belittle us or bypass us, we can be tempted to believe that God is thinking the same thing. So I'm not going to get into a specific issue, but I'm just going to say that I have been hurt by other Christians and I've been hurt by the church. I've been unappreciated when I've I've helped. I've been told to step off serving the church. I've been told that I don't have sound doctrine, that I can't be trusted. I've heard everything. <laughs> and it really hurt me for a while there. And it's tempting to still allow it to hurt me even now. And it was very hard for me to have faith in the church and in church leaders. And I'm sure there are others out there as well. And it was very hard because it was very easy for me to believe that if they thought these things and said these things about me, then surely God thinks these things too about me as well. And it was very painful for me because I almost believed the lie that God doesn't love me and that he actually agrees with them. And um, it was very hard. It was a very hard battle for me to untangle the distinction between other people's thoughts and what are God's thoughts. And for a while there, it got so bad that I actually had social anxiety and whenever I stepped into the church, I'd just have a panic attack. So really quickly, I want to break this down and I want to break it down into what are the symptoms of toxic church leaders and what are the marks of a healthy church. And then I'm going to conclude by talking about what finally helped me to overcome my church hurt. So here we go. So here are some symptoms that I've learned through my personal experiences about toxic leaders and Maybe these can be some ways for you to help identify toxic leaders uh, yourself. So they don't demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, which is laid out in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, and that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, and gentleness, and self-control. They only want a minimalist structure of accountability, so meaning that they have a heavy top-down leadership and they only answer to one person, and that person is most likely already in their pocket, so it's bias anyway. And because, because of that, they're more likely to get away with whatever it is that they're doing. They expect behavior of others, but they don't expect it from, the, from themselves. So it's like a do as I say, but not as I do kind of a thing. They see almost everyone as inferior to themselves. So you might hear them criticizing other people while building themselves up. They might show favoritism. They might get frustrated or angry really easily. Uh, they'll say one thing to some people, but then a different thing to other people. They will be quick to dismiss or marginalize people before they even attempt to develop them. So in other words, people are just a means to their ends and people are just useful to them in, until they're not, instead of seeing them as people, as God's people who just need mentoring and developing. They're manipulative. They lack transparency. Uh, other people aren't allowed to disagree with them. They'll actually surround themselves with only their close friends or maybe family members who will just be their yes people. And lastly, they'll have a huge ego and they'll be very self-absorbed. So I know I just said a pretty long list, but these are all things that I've seen in toxic church leaders and toxic leaders should definitely be a minority, but it happens sometimes. So yeah, it's really, it really, really sucks because they'll most likely get away with it because they're charming, charismatic people and other people higher up, they might make excuses for them. So yeah, if you've had to deal with any toxic church situation, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that and I can completely empathize with you.
Now, with that horribleness being said, let's look at some marks of a healthy church. The first mark is that the church leaders should teach, preach, and live out the Bible fully and faithfully. They don't preach their own ideas, but they actually allow Scripture to set their agenda for preaching. Uh, Like, they don't pick random topics based on another criteria. They consistently teach sound doctrine. They have a clear understanding of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins in order to bring us into a right relationship with God and to go to heaven. They have a clear biblical understanding of conversion. So um, only people who put their faith in Jesus will enter heaven, um, that they need to repent of sin and trust in Jesus. Uh, They also need to have a biblical understanding for evangelism, meaning that they should encourage others to preach the gospel to non-believers because it's our responsibility to tell others of God's message of salvation. Uh, They'll take church membership pretty seriously. They'll exercise biblical church discipline in a loving and patient way and not in a toxic way. They encourage biblical discipleship and growth, meaning that they'll equip their members to grow spiritually so they don't assume everyone who walks through the doors is already a Christian that reads their Bible. Um, They'll encourage members to disciple one another. And lastly, they'll have biblical leadership, meaning that it's led by qualified people and they look to Scripture to determine its leadership structure. So there's obviously more things that I didn't completely cover because I think that this is getting on a bit of a tangent. But if you're interested in this area, I would highly recommend the Nine Marks Building Healthy Churches book series by Mark Denver. It really goes into depth with these things and it has taught me so much and it's opened my eyes to so many things. So keep an eye out for these traits, whether you're looking for a church or seeing if your church does these things. And now lastly... I want to share uh, how how to overcome church hurt, and it was really hard for me, and if you're going through the same thing, it will take some time, so don't be frustrated with yourself. So number one, commit to staying in God's Word. When I was badly hurt by the church, I wouldn't get out of bed until midday, and the only thing that kept me going was committing to reading one psalm a day, just one. My hope for my life and my healing has always been from the Bible. For as long as I've been a Christian, it has been. Um, And the more that I center myself on God's Word, the more that I'm shown in love um, the things that I need to know, and the more I was able to mature. And other than the Bible, I was also to draw upon many sermons and Christian articles and books that really helped me to heal myself. The more I was centered on God's Word, the more that I was able to see God's wisdom in love, and I was through that I was able to mature a lot faster. And I was also able to draw upon other things like sermons and other Christian articles and books in order for me uh, to heal. And hopefully now help me to now help you <laughs> um, if you're going through that issue. Um, one sermon series that I would highly recommend is Transformation Church's sermon series called Forgiveness University. That one really helped me with my church hurt. And also the book Forgiving What You Can't Forget by Lisa Turkhurst. Um, she also does like a Bible study plan, which is a lot smaller if you don't like reading a book. Um, but yeah, these two really, really impacted me. So yeah. Um, it's really tempting to avoid the Bible when you're hurt. I can definitely relate to that, but I just want to encourage you to keep at it, keep reading it, even if it is just one psalm a day, even if it's just one verse a day. Um, it's almost like eating, you know, you t- just take what you need to sustain yourself for that day. Uh, don't even think about the future at that point. Just just take what you need for that day 
And knowing God's word will help you as you process your hurt and to help you find the truth in order to satisfy and guide you. At least that's that's what I've learned. <laughs> um, number two, take some time to just stay in your own lane. Again, when I was hurt by the church leadership, I decided to give back all of my serve team shirts and I said to myself, like, I'm not going to be on the serve team. I'm not going to help the church um, in any way. I'm just going to take some time for myself. And uh, for some people, that seems like the complete opposite of what you should do. But I just keep in mind, I was so hurt that I had developed social anxiety and I had intense bitterness. Whenever I thought of serving, I would just get so angry and I would just say, oh, they, they don't even want my help. They don't even like me. Like, they don't appreciate anything I do. So I just, I really needed to, to stop serving because if I kept serving with that kind of a heart attitude, I would have done more damage than good. Um, so I just needed to stop and to just work on myself. So yeah, I'm not saying that they're the only ones who had the issues. I definitely had to pursue my own Christ-like discipleship. I needed time to learn, to grow, forgive, repent, keep enduring, keep encouraging myself. And in the meantime, I actually fellowshiped with other Christians. I, I managed to do, you know, my churchy things in other ways. So I was able to uh, join a connect group with some of my old friends who lived in another city through Zoom. Thank you, Corona, for Zoom. But, you know, obviously coronavirus is such a huge bad thing. But uh, one of the positives of coronavirus, I guess, is being able to connect with people who don't live in your city. So I was very thankful that I was able to hang out with my friends in another city. So I also hung out with friends who weren't involved in the church hurt at all, which was very refreshing, just hanging out with people who are not in that circle. I just needed the time to just be in a completely different arena. So so I just needed a time to stay in my own lane and trust that God was working on me and other people around me. And uh, if that's you, I just want to encourage you, it takes time. Don't rush yourself. Number three, choose peace, unity, and love anyway. So I waited a really long time for the church leadership to approach me and to apologize first because I had this assumption that since they're in these paid roles, they must be more spiritually mature than I am and they're going to they're gonna approach me first. But, but I, I was disappointed because they didn't. And I just really felt that God prompted my heart and he said to me, why are you waiting for them? Why don't you just take the first step? So it sucked because I felt like I deserved the apology first and not the other way around. And it felt really impossible at the time because every fiber in my being just didn't want to because in my brain it was like, well, if I have to approach them first, then then it's their way of winning. But God kept bringing me back to what it means to be a Christian and he showed me that love should encompass everything that we do and that love covers a multitude of sins. And in the end, what matters most is the church body as a whole and not just this offense between me and the other person. Because what does disunity show to those who don't believe? It's not a very good look when the church is all broken up. And I was really reminded by the fact that Jesus had said that you can tell who his disciples were by how they love each other. So I made a decision and I felt that it was the best way uh, forward is for me to approach them first. And the, you know, the best approach was to do it in love. So I decided to make that decision and to do that call, even if I never got an apology. I just made up my mind about it. I tried to just disconnect every emotion from that decision and just do it in faith. And 
I did that because my peace of mind and your peace of mind even is it's your own responsibility. It was, it was my own responsibility. You can only control what your actions are. You can't control other people. So developing a heart like Christ's was also very important. So I reached out, made peace, and that doesn't mean that we became best friends again or anything like that. It just meant I'm going to bury the hatchet and I'm going to move on. So yeah, those were all the main things that God has taught me through pain, sorrow, disappointment, and everything in between. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it, and I hope that it was really useful to you. Uh, If the podcast is useful and helpful to you, and if you're enjoying it, then I'd love to invite you to share it on social media or share it with a friend. If you do, make sure to tag me so I can see it. And if you're not subscribed yet, let me just take this opportunity to invite you to do that as well, because you'll get notified whenever I upload new episodes. So yeah, uh, thank you again for being with me on this journey, and I will see you next time.